0: Ecclesiastes five one to seven. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business. ...and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many... There is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Amen. As said, tonight we have the pleasure of having Reverend um, Thomas Chin, Senior Pastor of Chatswood Church of Christ, um, coming and sharing the Word of God to us. Uh, We believe in honour. We believe in honouring those uh, that come to speak God's Word. Uh, We believe uh, giving honour to where honour is due. So as we welcome Pastor Thomas, can we all stand and welcome him um, to preach the Word of God?
1: Thank you very much. Please be seated. I like the way you introduce this. Maybe I should tell my church folks to do that. First time, you know, people stand in welcoming the the speaker. I like that. A unique experience for me. You make my day. Thank you so much. Let's pause and ask the Lord for his blessing upon the ministry of the word. Lord, your word is life, your word is truth, your word is power. We ask that in the next few moments of our time, as we listen to the ministry of your word, your Holy Spirit will address our hearts and speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The worship are not to worship. That's one question you must answer if you love and obey God. That's one question you ought to think through if you are a Christian. That's one question you want to resolve if you are sincere and earnest in following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as his disciple. You see, Sunday after Sunday, you'll be tempted by the devil to miss worship in church. Week after week, you will be distracted by work, school, studies, or whatever to stop worshiping with God's people. There will be times you don't feel like coming to church. There will be circumstances you don't feel like worshiping God. There will be days you'd rather sleep in, lace around, play, watch TV, or do anything else instead of worship. What do you do when you don't feel like worshipping God? What do you do when you rather skip than attend church? Some very sobering questions to think about. I suggest as an answer you think of Christian worship as one of our biblical core values. And by that I believe I can say this, Regular, consistent worship with the church strengthens spiritual life, health, and vitality. We believe worship of God symbolizes the heartbeat of the church. Like our human heartbeat, worship together as a church represents our life, our health, and our vitality in Jesus Christ. Take away our worship, and you take away the heartbeat of the church of Jesus Christ. What do you listen for when you listen to your heartbeat? You listen for the pulse. You listen for the rate your heart beats. If your heartbeat is normal, you know you are alive and healthy. But if your heartbeat stops completely, it can only mean one thing. You are dead. Today I want you to be your own spiritual doctor and listen to the heartbeat of worship in your own life. At the end of our time together, you will know how fast or how slow, how strong or how weak, how healthy or how sickly it is. If you listen to the if you're ready now to listen to your own heartbeat, I suggest there are three. Distinct pulses in the heartbeat of worship. The first is the pulse of attendance. In the attendance of worship, so to speak, you go for worship. You join God's people for worship in church. You don't just stay at home and worship the Lord all by yourself. You hear and you hear what God says to you in the presence of his people. You don't simply listen to a worship service on a radio or a TV broadcast. So unless you're sick and unable to come to church, you bring your entire being to the place of worship. And as I've said to my own people, from the very top of your head to the very tip of your toe. You don't just carry your body to church and leave your heart, mind, soul and spirit at home. You make your way to church week after week, Sunday after Sunday. You don't say to yourself, you know, there's really no harm in missing worship every now and then. No, you don't say that. You bring yourself into God's presence regardless of how you may feel. You don't give yourself any kind of excuses to avoid worship in church. Now let's hear what the author of Ecclesiastes says about worship in church chapter 5, verse 1. It is written, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now obviously, Solomon is referring to worship in the temple of Jerusalem, but it still applies to our worship today. And in this very first verse alone, he tells us two important things about the attendance of worship. One, worship is not an option, it is an obligation. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. He doesn't say, guard your steps if you go to the house of God. Likewise, the psalmist David declares, Psalms 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He doesn't say, I was glad. If they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now I trust you know the difference between the two conjunctions. Suppose I say to you, when I come to your house, what am I saying? I'm saying, I will go to your house. I'm saying, you can expect me to come to your home. Now if I said to you, If I come to your home, what do I mean? I mean I may not go to your home. I mean you need not expect me to come to your home. So when Solomon says, guard your step when you go to the house of God, he's saying God expects us to worship in church. He's saying worship is our obligation, not an option. Yet some Christians think of worship as an earthly option instead of a divine obligation. And if they have to choose between worship and anything else, they will choose anything else without thinking twice about missing worship. They will not feel as if they are missing any spiritual heartbeat. If you experience missing habits like I have in my heart palpitation years ago, you know it is a serious problem. You know that if you don't attend to it, who knows, you might just collapse suddenly and then die of a heart problem. But you know what? We have Christians who don't see the danger of neglecting or forsaking the worship of God. In fact, they will regularly absent themselves from worship and someone put it, put it this way something for us to ponder and pray about. And the quotation goes this way An avoidable absence from church is an infallible sign of spiritual decay. Worship, therefore, is not an option, it is our obligation. There's a second thing Solomon tell us, tells us in this verse, and that is worship is not merely presence. It is preparedness. Solomon says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. What does he mean? Guard your steps. Now tell me, what comes to your mind when you think of the word guard? Why do you use such a verb, guard? I think of soldiers guarding military camps when you think of the word guard. I think of police guarding the lives of VIPs. I think of security guards guarding private homes and expensive condominiums. How does the word guard apply to worship? Well, the answer lies in the meaning of the Hebrew word. It refers to preparedness, readiness, willingness as you come to worship. Now, let me ask you, If you notice a child sweating and running all over the playground 10 minutes before worship, do you think he's prepared for worship? If you find a group of boys preoccupied with exchanging their Pokemon cards, would you say they are getting ready for worship? If you see someone reading the Sickening Morning Herald, would you conclude he's looking forward to worship? If you meet a member dragging his feet to church, would you say he's ready to worship God? If you know your spouse is pouting with anger as she steps into church, would you she feel she's looking forward to worship? If you run into someone appearing sleepy and untidy as he walks into church, do you think he's prepared to meet the Lord? If you see your friend habitually is showing up late, would you say he's honoring God? If you observe a worship leader preparing to lead worship at the very last minute, do you think he's ego and enthusiastic for worship? If the honest truth be told, I believe you will answer no. Why? Because worship is not merely presence, it is preparedness, hence the word God. The second pause you listen for in the habit of worship is attention. In the attention of worship, you listen during worship. And how do you do that? I suggest there are many ways. One, you get enough sleep the night before. You arrive in church early. You get seated. You sit upright. And if I may add, keep your head up straight. You remain still. You keep quiet. You stop talking, you pay attention, you stay awake and alert. You keep your eyes and your ears and your heart open. You hear and you heed. You ponder and you pray. Now let's hear what Solomon says in verse 1. Go near to listen. Rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what, who do not know that they do wrong. He uses a very choice word, a missing art today, if I may say so, the word listen. You see, it's terribly important we listen to the word of God in worship. But a very serious problem exists in many worship services today. I call it the problem of attendance. Without attention. Some Christians think of worship as merely hearing a sermon, and that is all. To them, hearing a sermon is good enough. They say, hey, you know what? It's pretty good if I can stay awake throughout an entire sermon without falling asleep. You know what? That's what I used to think before I became a pastor. Once I thought the most central thing about worship services was hearing the sermon. But I was wrong. Dead wrong. You and I may hear what the Bible says, but we may not necessarily heed what the Bible says. Does the word listen in Hebrew as it's originally written in the Old Testament? It has a double force. It means to hear and to heed. It is not enough we give attendance to God's Word. We must also give attention to God's Word. No wonder the prophet Samuel rebukes King Saul and says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, he says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken, the Old Testament word for listen, and to hearken, than the fat of rams. In the book of James, the apostle commands, in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Dear friends, we face a grave danger at every worship service. We deceive ourselves if we think we can be hearers only without being doers of the Word of God. By all means, we must hear the Bible, but we must also heed the Bible. We must listen, learn, and live according to the Bible to hear and to heed the Bible we always remember two things about attention in worship one worship is knowing who you are in God's presence and certainly in God's place it is realizing and recognizing your place in the very eyes of God it is keeping and staying within your boundary in God's eyes as my good friend a civil engineer says it is observing and obeying your OB markers. OB stands for Out of Bound. So listen to what Solomon tells us in verse two about knowing our place in God's presence. He says, "Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and." You are on earth, so let your words be few. This verse is very significant, coming from King Solomon. As you may, you may know, he's the king of Israel, but he acknowledges God as the high king of heaven and earth. He may be a mighty king, but God is the Almighty king of heaven and earth. Likewise, in worship, we see ourselves as puny sinners before the holy Transcendent transcendent, almighty God of the entire universe. That's the second thing he tells us in this verse, and that is worship is watching what you say in God's presence. Let's look at what Solomon says in verses 2, 3, and 7. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Verse 7, much dreaming, and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Now in this verse, Solomon is not saying we should keep our speaking or singing to the barest minimum. He's not suggesting that we should worship God in absolute silence. He's not saying that our human speech has no place or little value in divine worship. But he's drawing our attention to the importance of our words in worship. He's warning us against taking what we say or saying to God far too lightly. He's telling us to watch what we say in God's presence. So it's not about speaking or singing as little as possible. Rather, it is about watching and weighing our words, especially when we are worshipping in God's presence. The Paul writer says in Proverbs chapter 10, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. In other words, in worship, attention means we don't forget our words like the way we forget our dreams talking about knowing who we are and watching what we say in God's presence, reminds me of an experience many years ago. I was visiting one of the subordinate courts in Singapore for the first time. My Singaporean fellow citizens or permanent residents will know what I am referring to. The court session was to begin at 9 a.m. Before that, practically everyone was there. The lawyers, the court officials, the accused, the witnesses, the family members, relatives, friends, and so on. While waiting for the judge to appear, some people were talking rather loudly until a police sergeant stopped them. And strangely enough, there was no angry protest. The culprit simply complied. A little while later, a few others started talking in another part of the courtroom, Again, the same sergeant went into action to ensure quiet and orderly behavior in the courtroom. And all this happened before the judge arrived. By the way, the judge did not appear until 20 minutes after 9 o'clock. But still, everybody waited patiently and, if I may add, reverently. During the court proceedings, I observed something else happened. The lawyers and the court officials bow towards the judge as they walk in and out of the courtroom. When they step into the courtroom, after opening the big door, they will look towards the, court, the judge and bow before him. Or even the lawyers, as they are about to make their exit, when they reach the main door, they turn around and they bow towards the judge. The whole scene impressed me very profoundly. I thought to myself, the human just seems to receive more reverence in his courtroom than the high king of heaven in his house of worship. It seems Christians expect God to wait on them rather than they wait upon God in worship. Dear friends, if an earthly judge of a subordinate court receives reverence in his courtroom, how much more should the judge of the living and the dead receive reverence in his house of worship? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if people in a court of law watch what they say before a human judge, how much more must God's people watch what they say before the judge of heaven and earth. So there's attention. There is attention. There's a third pause in the heart of worship. I call it attestation. In the attestation of worship, we keep promises in worship. We fulfill what we vow. We pay what we promise. We do what we say. We turn our praise into deeds. We translate our prayer into action. We transform our worship into works. We change our sentiment into commitment. Quoting the Old Testament law, Solomon tells us two important things about worship and promise keeping. One, worship is making and keeping your vow. In verses 4 and 5, Solomon says, When you make a vow to God, Do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vows. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Now, has it occurred to you that when we worship God, we make promises to God? Has it also occurred to you that there are more hypocritical people in the churches on Sundays than there are elsewhere in between Sundays? Think of the number of worshippers we have in the churches all over our nation. Think of the marriage vows Christians make to their spouses. Think of the promises when families dedicate their children. Think of the church covenants members read or recite at one time or another. Think of the verses of commitment we have quoted or memorized, verses such as I'm about to read to you now. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Joshua 24, verse 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 4, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Psalms 27, verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Think of the hymns of devotion we sing over and over again such as, all oh, to Jesus I surrender. Take my life and let it be. Have thy own way, Lord, have thy own way. Oh, Jesus, I have promised. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. Jesus, we enthrone you. Jesus, you are my all in all. And many, many more. And I'm sure you can add to the list your own favorite song. What will happen? Or can you imagine what will happen? if all of us do what we promise to do for God. Sydney and the whole world will be one for Jesus Christ. Churches will be packed with people. Christians will be serving God by the hundreds and the thousands. The poor will be fed and clothed. The oppressed will be set free. The imprisoned will be visited. The sick will be healed. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will be preached to the ends of the earth. But do you see all this happening? as they could and as they should. And if I be bold enough, do you see this happening at the Sydney Chapel? Now you can understand why Solomon says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fulfill your vow. Now some of you at this point may be wondering or even saying to yourself, Pastor Thomas, if that's the case, I'm finished. Since I feel so miserably, I see no point in worshipping God. But before you decide to quit and stop coming to worship, I have good news for you in the person of the prophet Jonah. He was nicknamed the reluctant prophet. When God commanded him to preach repentance to Nineveh, he decided to go on his own sea voyage. But God intervened and had him swallowed up by a whale. As a result, he repented and resumed his role as God's chosen prophet. In his long prophetic prayer, he says in Jonah chapter 2, let me read for you his words You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swept about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth believed me, barred me in forever. But you brought my life out from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was epping away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple those who cling to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. Jonah says, what I have vowed, I will make good. Worship, therefore, is making and keeping your vow whether it's in song or in a verse of scripture that you take to heart. To worship is not deciding on a promise and denying it later. Solomon tells us in verse 6, Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at you, at what you say, and destroy the work of your hands? In the book of Acts, we have the tragic story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. You read the passage, and you know they sold a piece of the property. Then of all things, I suspect it could be even in the worship service, they lied about giving all the money to the church. Perhaps they wanted to impress themselves or some others in the church, but God saw otherwise. God knew they did not pay what they vowed. As a result, God's judgment came very swiftly upon them and they were struck dead. Can you imagine? Here they are, making a vow, as it were, and not paying it, and then they were slain by the Holy Spirit, dropped dead in church. If something like this happened, I wonder how many of us would still be here. The moral of the story is this. God is never impressed with outward show. God is never full with empty rituals. God is never satisfied with worthless worship. God is never pleased with hypocritical hearts. In God's eyes, there is nothing as detestable as religion without righteousness, piety without purity, and ceremony without character. No wonder our Lord Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, let what you say be simply yes or no. And Jesus doesn't stop there. It's very stunning when he goes on to say, if it's not a yes, if it's not a no, anything more than this comes from evil. And then in Matthew chapter 12 he says, I tell you, He's speaking to Christians and non-Christians alike. On the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Hence we say, worship in the house, in the very presence of God, is not deciding or declaring a promise and then denying it later. In conclusion, one thing is absolutely clear about worship in God's eyes. Whether we are talking about family or personal, individual or corporate, formal or informal worship, it is the heartbeat of the church. I started out by asking you to be, to be, to be your own spiritual doctor. And I said there are only three distinct pauses you look for the powers of attendance, the powers of attention, and then the powers of attestation. So let me ask you, if I may, how is the heartbeat of worship in your heart today? I pray with all my heart that your worship of God Will really constitute the spiritual heartbeat of this church and for the rest of your entire Christian life. Amen. Let's pray.